0: It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Mic Up, an unapologetic podcast based right here in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And if you can hear, you can you can tell I I got a little bit of laryngitis, so just bear with me <laughs> throughout this episode. Uh, this week, I've invited a friend and fellow organizer to join me on Mic'd Up. Uh, her name is Kim Smith, and she's an active leader within the Party for Socialism and Liberation, um, right up in uh, Columbia, up in the Midlands. Um, I thought it was important to feature Kim because her work is so significant, and she's doing great things, and has been featured. Uh, on on many national uh, news platforms recently. But moreover, uh, she represents a different political perspective. I think oftentimes when we discuss the current state of politics, whether it be in the state of South Carolina or throughout the country uh, or even throughout the world, we kind of look at it from either the perspective of the left the perspective of the right. And being a person who's active in uh, the Socialist Party for liberation, someone who is also identified as, who has self-identified as a communist, I thought it was important to hear what she has to say to demystify uh, that party and those leanings. So take a listen, come to your own conclusions, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, hey Kim, are you there? Hey, Tamika. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm well. Okay, so could you just introduce
1: yourself, like who you are, your name, and what you do? All right, my name is Kim and Kim Smith and I'm a mom and a organizer with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Wow, okay. And where are you based? in Columbia, South Carolina.
0: Okay. Are you, um, are you a longtime native of South Carolina? Born and raised in West Columbia. Wow. Yep. So, so you and I, we cross paths through, um, mutual friends and, uh, friends that are activists like Naomi and Tamika. And I know I've seen you at rallies, but like we didn't net like necessarily connect, but like we connect on social media afterwards. But I just want to know, like, what led you to this work since you're from West Columbia? What led you to this work?
1: Just um, growing up, you know, I tell people all the time, like, I'm straight from the hood. Like, I grew up in the hood. Um, And just being from West Columbia and growing up on West Columbia and Washington Park and Shop Road, just kind of two, quote, unquote, notorious areas. Um, Just wanting to, like, change, just knowing that stuff need to change in my community and in South Carolina, period, and just having a son and just being like, all right, this is it. I gotta do something for him.
0: Right. So, so when did you get connected with your party? And again, what's what's the name of the party you uh, you work
1: with? Um, the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Yes. And um, I got I joined the party. I actually became a candidate in the party December of last year, like December fourteenth of last year, twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. And um, there was no chapter here. Um, there was no branch here. Nothing. And I got in contact because I knew I wanted to get involved more politically as well. So, you know, I was looking at, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a communist. So (laughs) I was looking at different parties and I found the PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation. I was like, we need that here. Just knowing, you know, going over the party and looking. I was like, we need it in Columbia. We need this. We need this organization.
0: Yeah. And never since then, I hit the ground running. I I think that's what, uh, you know, attracted me to your... um, your kind of work because it kind of is reminiscent of like what inspires me, which is, you know, um, coming in, if you live in Charleston and if you have lived anywhere else, or just if you read or you're just exposed to, you know, all types of blackness and Pan-Africanism. Well, one thing when you live in Charleston, you realize like there's a need for something and you can't quite place your finger on it. And then you find yourself creating that presence. And it sounds like that's what you did. In Colombia, like you saw, a need for a different type of voice. Uh, What what led you to uh, your work within within the Communist Party, or like what led you to not work with the Democrats or or any other party?
1: Just seeing, just seeing that no matter how far they, you know, Democrats, you know, or they felt like they were taking the Black community and Black people, they, they were always pushing us two steps back. It's just like they give us just enough, but they'll never liberate us fully you know will never be and i see that they ignore the indi- you know native americans they ignore you know the real problems plaguing the black communities they push us into jails and prisons and foster homes and they don't really connect with what the root of the problem is yeah so i knew that the democratic party or any you know any other current party would not be the one to support the type of work that we do
0: and and so like that's profound. I think. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you too is because you are you are um, articulating thoughts and feelings that I'm hearing a lot of younger voters, younger voters of color. Um, um, I won't give um, Bernie the credit, but I will say that from the 2016 election cycle, you did start hearing these diverse voices emerge that you know that were somewhat in line with, with some of the socialist themes. And a Bernie Sanders campaign but more specifically like you heard people speak about uh, some of the issues that you tend to speak about which is you know um, you know abolishing ice or you know dismantling our criminal justice system not not you know so you, you've been speaking to a lot of issues that I think people aren't paying attention to what, what are you feeling like there's more popularity now Are you feel like there's a
1: groundswell of support of people like yourself? I think it's just a lot of people paying more attention um, since you know, since Trump got in the office. You know, people did kind of pay a little, started paying a little bit more attention. And when they started paying a little bit more attention to Trump, they also started, especially the younger generation, was saying, hey, wait a second, the Republicans aren't too different from the Democrats. Mm-hmm. they kind of the same if you look at their policies. Mm-hmm. And I think it just it's such an education period right now. I think that's why so many younger people are, moving towards socialism and not just democratic socialism i call that imperialism light because you know they still they still talk about you know taking over and manipulating other countries and all that stuff so but i think that's what's pushing more people towards socialism is they kind of starting to see these systems aren't set up for us they this is these systems are set up to constantly put white you know whiteness ahead of us you know and so when they are le- when they see that they kind of leaning towards socialism, they open up their minds to this new way of thinking. Like, okay, this whole system needs to be dismantled and rebuilt. So do you, do you
0: find people who still think like communism is a dirty word, or is a bad word? Oh
1: God, yes. Oh, so many people, uh, especially in growing up in South in the South, a lot of people. Uh, you know, I heard a lot growing up, even in school. Hitler was a communist. <laughs> we were taught that yeah yeah. <laughs> they, and, yeah yeah don't get me
0: started on school systems teaching yeah oh yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah and like even people when we when I go out and we canvas and we do all this you know trying to talk to kids, they're like communism you know what is that or it's that's bad that's what you know Cuba's communist that's horrible Fidel was horrible you know they know all this little this American western propaganda about communism and nobody's really been educated on what it really is and what we're trying to achieve Right, and what is it you think you're trying to achieve in a nutshell? As a communist and as a black woman, I I want to see decolonization. I want to see you know indigenous get their land back. I want to see reparations. I want to see people not you know housing as a basic human right. Prisons actually for rehabilitation and not just for mass incarceration. And oh, y'all got me over here sounding like Jesse Jackson. Y'all <laughs> on the real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know we want to see basic human needs met an economy that's planned for we're the rich america is the richest country in the world and yet we have the highest homeless population south carolina's homeless population is 56.3 percent black
0: wow <laughs> i didn't know that i didn't know that
1: over half our homeless population is black -hmm. And you tell me that this this capitalist system is working for who? Right.
0: Right. Well, I I, you know you probably you probably have said this too. uh, Capitalism is working exactly how it was designed to work, but it's just not it's not working for poor people. It's not working for Black people, of course, but that's what it was designed to do. You know. Yeah. 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 Oh man. So you mentioned your work in and around the criminal justice system and specifically the prisons. Now, that's when I really started to pay more attention to your individual work and your individual voice because I saw you stage numerous protests. Um, I believe that, I think the first one I saw was the Lee Correctional Facility. Can you tell me more about your time working on that issue or working near that correctional facility?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely that. Um, I know a lot of people, everybody probably inside of Carolina knows about April 15th. We lost seven lives due to the Lee Correctional incident, you know. And at that point, I was just like, this is a, a pointless, senseless loss of life. Like, they locked medical out. They, like, they did all the stuff to help these, these people die, these people that are incarcerated die. So I reached out to some of the Twitter accounts of those incarcerated that still could have social media. And I just knew, I was like, this is how we're going to. In my mind, I was like, you know what? Those incarcerated can't vote. They have no rights. You know, a lot of these are political prisoners. A lot of, mostly everyone incarcerated for nonviolent crimes. Um, and I just thought, like, if we really want to make changes, we really need to look up, lift those voices that are getting shut out or heard. It's a reason that these voices, you know, they're massively incarcerating Black, Brown, and Native people. We need to uplift those voices. And it starts with those incarcerated. Though You know, it starts with the men, the women, and the children in detention centers, the people in ICE detention. It starts with those incarcerated. We have to lift up their voices. And that's just what I've been trying to do. Uh, so what do you say? Do you say? Um, I'm sorry. Is there an echo?
0: Do you hear an echo? <laughs> oh, ho- hopefully it's not too bad of an echo. Um, no, I don't. Okay. We can keep it real. Well, I'll listen to the audio afterwards. But... Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, we keep it real on this podcast. It's great. Oh, yeah, girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so when you speak so passionately about the lives of the incarcerated, what type of, um, what type of backlash do you receive? Because I know a lot of people probably arrive at the conclusion that, hey, they're in jail for a reason. They, they are barbaric. They're animals. Um, what, what do you do when you encounter maybe a negative, uh, negative backlash to the kind of work you do?
1: Uh, it's some people you know i I try to educate some people don't some people honest to god don't know you know i come from the school of if you know better you do better that's how i came to how i am you know i learned and i you know i educated myself When you know better you do better some people don't know i definitely educate them on you know the statistics you know let them know what's going on behind bars one in eight kids in detention centers are sexually assaulted trans trans um women are 13 times or sorry I think it's over 13 times more likely to be sexually assaulted than you know cisgender counterparts. I just let them know one in 15. Black, you know, I let them know. I educate them on what's going on, and also educate them on okay, yeah, these people may have committed. They robbed a store, but let's think about why. Let's think about why. Are, why are people? Why are citizens in such poverty? They feel like they have to rob and steal to live, to eat, to feed their kids. Mm. You know, we. I educate them, and then there are some people they just don't care they just feel like oh this person had a small marijuana charge well drugs are bad and they committed a crime they need to go to jail forever it's just some people you know they don't care about any other life but their own they don't care about nobody else it's just people out there like that so you either either educate them and try to kind of help them see or you know, sometimes I gotta shut it down. It's, you know, especially as being a black woman, it's not my job to try to save everybody and save the world. Like that's not our job. We got enough to do. We out here. We out here in these streets. We got enough to do. Absolutely. So, so if some people, I just be like, Nah. You know what? You just want to antagonize me. You just want to make me pop off. You and I. You know me to Tam. I got to me. I am one to pop off. I'm like no shut it down but then there are people who are really open to the education and we that I think that's also our job as organizers is to educate as much as we can
0: yeah I, I think so I think um whenever you kind of back up some of your uh, your work when you whenever you back up your work with statistics it, it to me it arms you with you know it makes you it makes you that much stronger and you know your stuff you know your you know your numbers and I think fundamentally like when it comes to just human lives regardless if they're um, you know, you know, perhaps maybe some unsavory characters, maybe some really some really bad people. Right. Let's you know, of course, there, there, there's some criminals in jail that aren't going to be your best friend. But at the same time, they are a human life. And it's um it's interesting how people's attitudes towards how to treat another human, regardless of the crime they committed. Um, and like you mentioned, a lot of the criminals in jail, especially if, if a lot of the criminals in jail are like there for maybe like, Marijuana, or you know, petty, petty, small things that wouldn't be illegal in some other states. Um, so um, I'm, I commend you for bringing light to that topic um, at Lee Correctional, and, and I know you'll continue to speak up about that. And, and that leads me to my next question. I remember um, as Hurricane Florence approached, um, and I was just trying to prepare. I'm a, I'm down here in Charleston, so I was trying to prepare myself and my family for the event of an evacuation. And then I go on Facebook to just also try to, you know, raise money for those who are yeah. trying to evacuate. And then I see you and Naomi, and the co- <laughs> and y'all are like at a press conference one day, a press conference, you were outside of a press conference where I believe our governor, Henry McMaster was speaking. Well, so tell take me back to that day of why you were
1: there and what was going on. Well, when when the whole Hurricane Florence, you know, when we were getting alerts, and they were like, we're evacuating these people. You know, I live in Columbia, so we weren't really evacuated. Um, but the coastal areas, of course, Florence, you know, Conway, all those beach type areas were definitely evacuated. And um, I reach out to those incarcerated, you know, just check in and make sure. And I see that Henry Master has violated a direct order. He said he is not evacuating no one that is incarcerated. Oh and God. I just said the uh, the uh, and I call him—I actually call him Henry McSlave Master. Um, and I was just like, the audacity of this dude! Like he is really showing that he just do not give a damn about anybody but the white upper class people. That's it. He just really showed that he just did not care about these human lives. He will let them drown. He had them filling sandbags for the outer community to protect other people's houses. Wait, but, wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. So our <laughs> governor, so actually, no, you serious? So prison labor was used to fill sandbags to help people prepare for the the storm, and yet they weren't being evacuated.
1: Yep, they are were you, using their labor. Oh wow, wow. I mean, just like digging, it almost made me think that they had these people digging their own graves. Like they are filling sandbags for other people for the outer community. But they wouldn't even evacuate them. And just think about it, you know, Tamika when, the prisons these days are all electric. So of course, whenever it floods, remember we had the flood in 2014, it actually affected Columbia. power goes out. If power goes out, that whole prison shut down, and these people are stuck in cells. Oh my God. And yeah. the water is rising. you know if water's rising, why you're stuck in these cells? And people kept saying, Oh, it's so safe inside inside prisons. Prisons have been around for a long time. Those buildings are not reinforced. They don't have proper safety checks. You know, it's all kind of you know, it's not just that it's electrical. Everything shuts down, so they can't even get out their cell.
0: Right. So like the the, the bars are are um are electric, so they're powered by electricity. So they don't open
1: like yep. once a pa- wow. So if you think of somebody, let's say you have a someone that's incarcerated that's ill, or a woman that's pregnant, or a child that's ill. Or something like that they trapped in a cell in pain because medic's not coming in nobody else is getting in there. so people were trapped in their cells in pain dying sick hungry if the power goes out or let's say that water started rising they just stay in there to drown so you've
0: been really calling a lot of attention to this issue especially following the lead correctional um you know incident i don't want to call it an incident that's not adequate what um but following, you know, the the loss of life at Lee Correctional, and then now the hurricane, and I I, I want to credit you and those who work with you for bringing like a national spotlight. I saw the story, I believe, in Newsweek online at least, and a couple of other national digital publications. Do you
1: do you feel as if your voice was heard? I think I did my job. My my only job. Is to make sure that those incarcerated voices were heard. And for that moment in time, yeah, but I can't stop. I gotta keep going because I gotta make sure these people's voices are heard. So yeah, for the, it is still, you know, I still feel horrible because no one got evacuated and we lost those two women, Wendy Newton and Nicholas Green. Wow. wow. Yeah, wait, wait, we're gonna pump our brakes from that one because
0: that, <laughs> no, because it like literally, like it was like it didn't stop and like, um, you know, you would think after, after the Lee Correctional, because the Lee Correctional, uh, the loss of life at Lee, that went, that went acro- across the world. Like, people saw that. They saw the riots in the, and in the, in the prisoners were speaking out. Um, they were able to get their messages out of the cells. And you would think after that, after being embarrassed and actually having both members of the Republican and the Democratic Party say way back when that we need to change the way we treat prisoners and how understaffed. The correctional system was. I I remember reading that in the the newspaper that both Republicans and Democrats had said, "Hey, we need we're gonna need some help here." Before the Lee incident happened, you would think you would think our governor or you know Governor McMaster, not our governor, um, not my governor, but you would think he would want to avoid that at all costs. But I guess um, he he did not. So yeah, let's fast forward. So then. Yeah, we saw the 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 Florence kind of missed us to hit maybe the Petey area, maybe North Myrtle Beach, and more. But more importantly, hit like the coast of North Carolina. But um, our area, our state, was not spared because of the rising floodwaters from the uh, the rivers and whatnot. So that takes me to the next incident. So yeah, we lost two lives. Um, what happened? Can you tell me what happened with that?
1: Definitely. Um. So. This was in the I want to say, uh, Horry County. Yeah, Horry County. Yeah, area. yeah. Hore County area. You know, you did, to be. You know, we have all our little tiny little counties, so it's always hard to like <laughs> name which. But uh, the Horry County area. Um. So apparently, these two officers—I call them officers—these women at first were in a mental health facility. Right. Now, if you're transporting people from a mental health facility why are they chained in the back of the truck mm-hmm. so uh, to me in my mind they're still incarcerated they don't have free range of movement that's been another debate people are like well they weren't incarcerated they were mental health patients if you chained up in the back of a truck you are incarcerated you're a prisoner <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't move um, they went through a barricade the road was blocked off and the people waved them through the barricade to go through and they saw that and they drove willingly into the floodwaters these two officers drove willingly into the floodwaters, knowing that they had two people in the back. That they they knew they had these women back here. They drove into the floodwaters and they got out scot free. They saved themselves, but left those women handcuffed in the back of the truck. Wow! They what, got rescued safely. So what
0: what has been the outcry because of that? Like, has anyone tried to organize around that issue? Because these two women who are battling mental illness, one of which I believe checked herself in. You know, um, so this wasn't a woman that like, I'm not, not to mischaracterize people suffering from mental illness, but she wasn't someone that was taken off the street for being a, a danger to herself or, you know, she wasn't one of those. She was one, a woman that I believe she took herself in. Has there been like an outcry in the community up there?
1: Well, right now, um, what uh, then this is just like very much still in the, in the works because so much has been going on and it's still in the works. But what I want to do is really get more attention to this so we can have these officers held accountable. They were in control of those women's lives at that point in time. So they should be charged with some type of crime because there's no reason they got them their two cells out safely. They didn't have enough time to go to the back, unhandcuff them, and also help them out.
0: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds uh, extraordinarily, uh, I want to use the word curious just to be uh, cute, but I'm looking right now at your Instagram, and, and there's a, an image, and it got my attention yesterday, uh, it says, never forget, and it lists the names of the two women whose lives were lost, it was Wendy Newton and Nicolette Green, and um, yeah, and, and the, the image is striking because it's a black uh, prison van with the, you know, two women uh silhouettes of two women inside and and two correctional officers standing on top of the van and looks like the van is being submerged in water and when you look at that image and you read those names it just becomes all too real and it is real especially to the the families of those who lost you know these two souls um I really do hope I see you have a list of demands and whatnot so hopefully, um, uh, we get some answers, but I know you'll be keeping folks accountable if they don't give you the answers. So yeah,
1: right and shout out to at forget.me.naut at forget me not. They actually created that image and it's so powerful. It just puts yeah. everything into perspective, I think.
0: Right. And and also it speaks volumes about how this country and how this state treats its mentally ill population. Um, you know, uh, to to think that you know you're going to be chained in the back of a van. Um, I I don't know the details, but I'm sure that that measure is going to be reevaluated very soon, given the fact that two lives were lost. So, um, um, again, thank you for your work on that. So. Um I want to ask right now I, I I saw you a couple days ago maybe last week the the week has been a blur. <laughs> yes. I uh, I saw you on Democracy Now, one of my favorite shows that I watch on YouTube. <laughs> and I want to know like how did you get on Democracy Now and why did they
1: call you up? Well, since um sound Democracy Now, um so since we, you know, I've started communicating and kind of bring, trying to bring more attention to South Carolina because South Carolina has horrible, just, I want to say we horrible, I, I mean, I love my city. I rep my set, I love my city, but South Carolina needs a lot. We need a lot here. And I just was like, we need this attention. And shout out to um, J.B. Ware is someone I met via Twitter. Thank God for social media. Um, yeah. So I met through Twitter. He actually is a journalist, and a freelance journalist. And he also works very heavily. You know, he inspires me so much. He worked very heavily with, you know, those incarcerated and getting the word out and everything like that. And he hit me up and was like, you know, I see you've been working in South Carolina. You in the PSL. I know some media contacts and he had democracy now reach out to me because, you know, they were covering the story at a league correctional institution and all that nature. So just shout out to them for making, you know, actually putting South Carolina on the map and like putting attention to what's going on. Like we need to do something. We got to hold McMaster accountable.
0: Absolutely. I, I think, um, so you don't know me personally, but real quick story for you and maybe some listeners, so I'm a Jersey girl. Everyone knows that. I'm a Jersey girl, but my dad is from down here in, in South Carolina. And um, basically, I, I got my B.A. in political science and English. And so I worked in politics in New Jersey, which if you're familiar, even generally, you'll know that like uh, the Democrats, is a very democratic state. Democrats are in power. And to some people, that might be a utopia, but it's just, it's it's almost, it's definitely not because you don't want to ever have any one party in that empower in that long and, and at that level. But I say all that to say that um, moving from the northeast, from both Philadelphia, the Philly metro area, and from New Jersey down here, and seeing how people just bypass the state and don't like don't really pay attention to what's going on here. It it, it blows my mind, even when trying me trying to raise money for electoral justice driven initiatives um, where I'm trying to mobilize, you know, black folks civically and whatnot. Um, Raising money for that has been like hard. So when I see you on a democracy now or hear you on a podcast, um, I just I'm really um, I'm grateful because it helps people know that we have we have voices here. We have diverse voices and we have emerging leadership here um that's not just democrat or republican it's it's so much more um so that was great so what what did democracy now talk to you about
1: just um basically what's been going on in south carolina and how you know how these women you know died they kind of we talked about that we talked about how these women were handcuffed, how Governor McMaster just totally ignores, the you know, there's no justification for the lives lost and how McMaster just totally ignores any type of opposition, any type of protest and he acts like it doesn't happen. He didn't acknowledge the prison strike. Uh, we've sent him tons of letters. We get tons of letters signed every week for him to meet the prison dem- the demands of those incarcerated, totally ignored. Just really discussing what's going on in South Carolina and how we need as much attention as we can, as well as other states, other small you know states. We need as much attention as we can. You know, this stuff isn't just happening in the big Cali and New York and all these. You know, we, the South is. We haven't been through it. You know, we still yeah. waiting to get ours a little bit. <laughs> and and the South is, the South is
0: rising. I'm I'm seeing a lot of Black women's voices or Black femme voices. Um, and even a trans women, I've seen these voices really rise up in Atlanta, Charlotte, um, and those are big, big metro areas. But I am encouraged by what's coming out of both Columbia and Charleston um, in terms of uh, different opinions and different voices, including my own. Um, you know, yeah. Shout I, out to you, to me, because you're doing it in Charleston, the Chuck. Like I love it. I I'm I'm like you. I want to make sure y'all's voices is amplified, <laughs> and I want to make sure my friends are or in my my um my colleagues or whomever my peers in this fight I want to make sure that they're that they're heard so I appreciate you so yeah I, I want to also I guess as we wrap up I wanted to ask well, what's on the horizon I know that you've also been promoting uh the, the is it the march for black women it's it's going on in DC but you're trying are you trying to do something locally like a sister march or a rally
1: yes um Naomi Thorne, Naomi Simmons Thorne and Tamika Staley, two other great, great women fem activists here in South Carolina. Um, we are trying to organize a march for Black women, a sister march. Um, I first became aware of it like not too long ago, and we were all so busy and just constantly going, but we were like, we need to have this. because Black trans women in South Carolina, you know, cisgender Black women in South Carolina, we are at the bottom of the bottom in South Carolina, you know? And so we really want to put this march together in October, sometime in October to really just bring black women films together and just uplift our voices and we have demands, you know, we we know what we want. We putting pressure on these people to let our voices
0: be heard. I think that's just in time for the upcoming elections. I know not all of my activist friends uh, believe in like voting or the power. Not not so much not believing in it but have become disenchanted by a broken democracy. And so um, I'm not going to um, uh, say that your work is toward driving people to the polls, but it feels like at least you want to seat the table and, and these people running for, these candidates running for governor or secretary of state or whatever, they need to listen to black women, right?
1: Definitely definitely don't just use us for our labor don't just you know rise up off us actually listen to us and actually put us in the forefront for change so many black women we do so much work behind the scenes and we push so many movements we're at the forefront of so many movements the cuban revolution the haitian revolution like so many great revolutionary movements black women have been at the forefront and i don't know about you but it's time for us to go for ours. You know, we got to go for hours. No, nah, no, this backseat stuff no more. We take a center stage. Well, I appreciate you and all the work you do.
0: And I think that's a great place to stop our interview. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I hope you were able to learn something uh, different. I hope that listening to Kim and her work Uh, someone who's a South Carolina native born and bred and listening to what drives her and what motivates her to do her work. I hope that helps you get a better understanding as to, I guess, what a modern day socialist or communist voice sounds like. And I also hope that this encourages you to have conversations with folks who don't necessarily walk your walk and, and, and walk in your shoes. It's important. I think all too often we call different or divergent opinions divisive. Um, I, I don't look at it that way. Um, I would like to look at other people's perspectives. I like to listen to what other people are reading and learn more about their ideology and, and their motivations and just color things in a little bit more um, comprehensively. And I think we get a better picture of not just current day of politics, but we get a better picture of humanity. And that's important. I think throughout all the noise and the distractions of this past week, we mustn't lose our connection with one another's humanity. And that's why I'm so grateful for women like Kim, uh, women like my my friends in the Midlands, other activists um, throughout the state, women and femmes and and men who are feminists. I am lucky to have a few and have them as my friends in my life. Um, So yeah, at the time of this recording We're actually at the last week of voter registration So I myself, I have been working diligently with so many dope volunteers So many dope friends who have helped me Either help register folks for the upcoming election Or they've um, helped spread the word about certain initiatives that I'm trying to drive home And not just me, that we're all trying to drive home Um, So um, there'll be additional information about, uh, I guess, some last ditch voter registration efforts, but also just some mobilizing efforts that are going to be coming soon from the Charleston Activist Network. Um, So, yeah, like always, if you have any feedback, you can hit me at the email, which is going to be in the show notes of this podcast episode. Any questions, concerns, feedback, constructive or otherwise, I'm open to hear it all. Until next time, you all be well. (laughs) Don't sound like me. Take care of yourself. (laughs) And don't get sick like myself right now. I sound horrible. So take care, be well, and I'll see you next time.